Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Thank you, Jake, and I want to welcome our online community. Thank you guys for joining us. They, they join us at 1030 on Sunday morning, so glad to, glad to have you guys with us. While those uh, offering baskets are being passed, I'm going to ask you guys to multitask. You pass a basket, and I need you for you to find something in your Bibles, a location of Luke chapter 19, verse 1, and Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Go ahead and get both of those. Hold them. We're going to start with the Luke passage, and then we'll go to the other. I encourage you to also take some notes because when, when we write things down, it helps to, it just helps it to stick better. Uh, you know, we, we, uh, I always look for those opportunities whenever I, I go to hear a sermon or in a class or, or whatever. I always like to take notes along, a notebook along so I can take notes because I want to be able to not only come back, but if there's something that connects the hand to the brain. And, uh, and I want you to be sure to take some notes because if God is speaking to you, and I believe that God speaks to us through his word, then I want to write down and keep what he said close to my heart. So that's why I encourage you to take some notes uh, in our sermon today. And I just got to tell you, I am in this relentless pursuit of God. I want to grow as a disciple of Jesus. One of the things that, that we should do to grow as disciples of Jesus is to go to a connect group. And uh, I'm just, you know, if, if you don't have a connect group, you just show up here on Monday evening to mine. I, I would love for you to be here to Monday evening to seven. But, but, but the, jump into a connect group because it's a way to grow in your relationship with God. But my prayer is that the Tim Woody, and you've, some of you have heard this before, the Tim Woody, one year from now, I hope that Tim Woody, that version of Tim Woody will be different than the Tim Woody that, that you know right now. And, uh, and I, I hope that my family sees that. I hope that the people that, that I'm around sees that. So, so that, I, that that's just a signal. That's a sign that I'm growing in my faith and I'm becoming more spiritually mature. You see, we don't arrive in, in, the, in the Christian life. We don't arrive at this state of, of perfect maturity and then we no longer grow. We continue to grow all of the time. And, and I'm talking about that today because what it is, it's us being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, and for that, and that transformation just keeps on happening and happening. But you got to understand this: we are in a corrupt world, and I don't think that's any new revelation to you at all. And there is this uh, temptation from hell to live a life that is just self-serving and self-centered, and 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 in, in reality, there's this concept of indulgence, and it's just. It, it's flaunted in our culture, and I think it, it's maximized in the city. So we all feel it. We all sense it. We all see it around us. And, and as, I was, as I was studying that this week, I, I, I just realized something. I thought, hey, I have this something in the back of my mind, that that's one of the tenets of Satanism is indulgence. And so I looked it up, and that is actually the very first tenet of Satanism in the Satanic Bible. Tenet number one is actually indulgence. Are you aware of that? 
Did you know that? that? That is crazy. Now, I'm not implying that people who are self-centered and indulgent are all devil worshipers, but, but it demonstrates really to us that the enemy is all about getting people to indulge into this lifestyle of just pure selfishness. Now, why would the enemy want to do that? Because it seems like, well, that's making people happy. Well, no, because that lifestyle drags people into a horrible existence, and, and it results in a loss of joy and peace. And today I'm going to, to do my very best to, to, to show you from God's Word how we as believers need to live differently, how we need to embrace a joyfully generous lifestyle and be transformed into the image of Jesus. So the title of today's message is simply one word, it's transformation transformation. And I want to pray for you. God, I, I pray that, that this word will be customized to everyone who's in here. Because I realize, God, we are all in diff- we all come from different backgrounds. We're all at different places. There, there's likely some people here who, who are just maybe new in their faith, or, or they're just, just, uh, just, just experimenting and see what is this all about. Others are, are growing. Others have been, uh, been growing as believers for many, many years. But Lord, I pray that you will take what I'm about to say and you'll customize it not only for where we are spiritually, but where each one of us are in our own individual lives and how we live out our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a story in the Bible about a man who was transformed, and his name was Zacchaeus. I learned about him as a child. We used to sing a little song about he, how he climbed up a sycamore tree, and Jesus went to his house for tea. Uh, obviously, that was written by the English because we don't like, I don't know, no, you don't go to someone's house for tea. Here, that happens in England. I think they, I've always thought that you know, the British wrote that song. But, uh, but he was this tax collector, and he collected taxes on behalf of the Romans, and the Romans Romans were, were the, uh, the, the Roman nation were occupying Israel at that time. But there were perks to being a tax collector. <laughs> yeah, there were huge perks. The Roman government actually allowed the tax collector to add on something that I just want to call convenience fees. Any of you ever experienced convenience? Don't you just love it when you say, and your convenience fee is X number of dollars. You're like, what? This doesn't feel very convenient to me. But, but they would add on these convenience fees and they, there was no cap on that. They could add as big of a, of a convenience fee onto the taxation from the other people from Israel uh, at their own discretion. So what happened is these tax collectors became very wealthy people. <clears throat> and even though they were Jews themselves, the tax collectors were, they were considered by the religious folk as some of the worst of sinners. They were equated on the same level as prostitutes at that time. The, the, uh, uh, the, the tax collectors were really social outcasts because of what they did. They were hated for two reasons. One was for linking arms with the Romans, and uh, which they did not like the Romans occupying that, that area. I mean, who would want a foreign army, a foreign military uh, occupying? Nobody wants that. And, and the second thing they, they could not stand about them is that their exorbitant convenience fees that they would do, and, the, and these people would even do it to the poorest of the poor, and it would, would, be, would put people into horrible situations financially. Well, let's take a look at the story. I asked you to open it in your Bibles. It's to uh, Luke chapter 19. We're going to start with verse 1. I want us to look through this account that's found here that Luke gave us. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a certain man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, so he was 
a high-level tax collector, and he was, of course, rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable due to the crowd because he was short in stature. Uh, So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him because he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up at him and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. That means he received him joyfully into his home. When the people saw this, they all began to complain, saying, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'm giving to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I am giving back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Well, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Saying Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. He's saying this for the other people who are hearing. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Zach, Zacchaeus, Zach, he welcomed Jesus into his home. He didn't even need a sermon from Jesus. And, and what Jesus did is he extended salvation to him. And, and I love it because that happened right after he made a promise. He just made a promise. He hadn't even acted on it. He made this promise that I, he's going to abandon his selfish, self-centered, indulgent lifestyle, and he's going to begin to engage joyful generosity. It says that he was filled with joy. Now, that is what I call a holy transformation. It really is. Uh, there, there is a, some research that's been done, and Science Daily reported this. It was done by the University of Zurich, and it's a new study. And there there are these people called neuroeconomists. Uh, Did you know that neuroeconomists existed? I didn't until I read this story, but they do exist. Neuroeconomists, they have performed this study regarding generosity. And there are lots, a lot of data in it but, it, but it all really ends up coming down to three very, very simple conclusions from the scientific study. And conclusion number one is, they, they said, this is, this is in the report, generosity makes people happier. And then the second thing that they discovered was, was counter, was actually the opposite of that, is that people who act solely out of self-interests, they are less happy. And the third conclusion is this, is that even initially promising to be more generous, it triggers a change in our brains that makes us happier. And I looked at that and thought, that's exactly what happened to Zacchaeus. I mean, he's filled with joy, and he had made this promise before he even done anything, he didn't even done anything, that he was going to begin to operate in generosity. So your brain releases these happy chemicals throughout your body uh, when, when you engage a generous lifestyle or even make a commitment to be generous. And, and it, it sends these happy chemicals throughout your body. I mean, who doesn't want that? <laughs> and and that's, that's actually, you know, a, a scientific issue that if you're a generous person, you're going to experience this. And I I love it. I love it when science actually lines up with God's Word. And I was thinking about that. It's like, you know, that just reminds me of a scripture that I've known for so many years. And it's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's a very simple scripture. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your 
mind. And that's what happened to Zacchaeus. And that's what caused him to begin to overflow with joy. Now, as a pastor, I, I want you to be happy. I do, I do. But, but, uh, but really, more than that, I want you to be a person of joy because joy overrides happiness because happiness is based upon conditions. But joy is something that you will have when you're at the highest of highs and even the lowest of lows. It's not dependent upon your emotions. And a huge component of joy is living out Christian values. And generosity is one of those Christian values. Uh, see, see, we're transformed by the Holy Spirit when we, we become Christians, but we continue to transform into the image of Christ through, tr- through our minds by simply making decisions in our heads that we're going to do things different, we're going to act different. That's what I call it holy transformation. See, and what happens with holy transformation, it has the power to break, to decimate, to destroy the power of greed in our lives. Uh, It also has the power to destroy a poverty mentality. It has the power to destroy selfishness. So that's what generosity naturally does. So when you allow the Holy Spirit to soften your heart so that you become a more generous person, you begin to lose your grip on the stuff of the world. And heaven rejoices, and, and God delights in you because he loves seeing his kids move forward and become more generous, become actually really more like Jesus. And as children of God, again, we are, we are transformed. We do it intentionally ourselves uh, through, through, the, uh, through the renewing of our mind, and we do this to embrace the nature of Jesus. Now, that's real important. We do this to re- embrace, reflect, and to become more like Jesus. And again, part of the nature of Jesus is joyful generosity. So our nature must also begin to transition to joyful generosity. In fact, I like to say this, and it's true. Uh, we are a generous church filled with generous people. And, and I'll, I'll just be candid with you. In my whole life in ministry, my whole life growing up, I've, I've been in church all my life. I was blessed to have parents take me to church, make me go to church. And and all of my life, I, uh, I was experiencing the goodness and the generosity of God's people in church because they are, they have always, I've just seen, they've always just been generous toward each other and there's loving on each other and just been joyfully generous. I could never really understand it, but I loved it. In fact, as a child, I know I would come into church and, and they would have these, these, uh, these half dollar coins. We called them a 50 cent piece. And, and, uh, and I, I remember there was this man who would pull out various coins and he would say, if you can tell me what this coin is, I'll give it to you. So I didn't know a lot of them when I was, this is when I was maybe three, four years old. I was just a little kid. And so, so my brothers took, my older brothers took it upon themselves to teach me what all the coins were. And he would always show me that the, uh, the, the half dollar coin, I had no idea. I was like, a nickel? I don't know. No, that's not it. You don't get it. Well, I want that big one. So he eventually began to, and so I learned about the, I would get those 50 cent plates. I don't even think they make those anymore. I haven't seen them in so many years, but they do. Okay. Well, I was wrong. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, you ask a school teacher, they're going to set you straight. I love it because when you preach, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get feedback. It's like, no, you're messing up, Pastor Tim. You're messing up, especially when, when it's a school teacher and an elder at the same time. But, but I, I, uh, I, I learned that, and then I learned about the dollar coins. It's called a silver dollar. And so I would go to church like, oh, this is great, man. These people are so, so generous. They're so generous. Um, and... 
I've, I've just always seen this among mature Christians. Now, years ago, uh, I've shared this before, but years ago, uh, when Rebecca and I were newly married, it was very, very tough financially. Uh, we, like I've told you before, we would go grocery shopping together because we had a rule that nobody could buy anything unless both of us agreed upon it. And it was for a period of time where we did that. So we would go grocery shopping together so that every item that was purchased had to be mutually agreed upon. And there really wasn't much we could purchase. I mean, it was like eggs, bread, milk. Okay, what? there wasn't much, but we would get what we needed and, and we would go up and down the aisles. And, and I, I very vividly recall that we would, we would there, were, there was this one time we, we, we were there at the store together and I looked at the black olives and I said, I know we can't have them, but wouldn't it be great to have some black olives? Went a little bit further and we came to the produce section and there was the, the white grapes, which are actually green. I don't know why they call them white grapes, but I, I like those. And, and I said, wouldn't it be great just to have some of these? But no, we can't. There will be a day when we'll get those. Went on further and we saw, uh, went down the, the soft drink aisle and there was Diet Coke, and, and I, I drank Diet Coke then. Don't, I don't drink it now, but, uh, but I, I loved that Diet Coke, and, and I, but I only liked Diet Coke in a can. I was kind of weird about it. That's the only way. I didn't like it in the bottles because it would, you, you pour it, and then the next few hours or the next day you come back, and there's lots of it's punch. It's like, who wants that? So I, uh, I, I, I really, I, I just think you know, there will be a day, you know, when we can actually buy Diet Coke. And, and she said, yeah, in a can. Like, yeah, yeah, someday, someday, someday. And uh, so we, we bought our little bit of groceries, brought them home. And, and this unassuming man from our church shows up at our door one evening. And he awkwardly said, I feel this is kind of awkward for me. And I hope this doesn't come across wrong. But I feel like God told me to do something for you. So I bought you some groceries. And I just hope you guys aren't offended by that. And we're like, offended? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. And we, we brought the, gro- we started bringing the, the bags of groceries. So he'd bring them to the porch. We'd put them, we'd put them in the kitchen and he just kept bringing them. And so we had it all, our, our little table was filled with groceries. It was great. And the last thing he, he came up with was, was a case of Diet Coke in a can. And he said, I don't even know if you like this stuff. And he said, I'm sorry. The only thing I could get it in were cans. I was like, that's okay. That's okay. So we took it and prayed for him and and closed the door. And Rebecca and I were like, yeah, (laughs) we were so happy. And we started unpacking these groceries and then we found white grapes. I said, sweetheart, look. Diet Coke and a can of white grapes. And then it looked a little bit longer and started unpacking more and black olives, and then even green olives. And see what the man had said. And you might think of people like this as being weird, but I just don't think it's weird at all. He said, I just walked through the grocery store praying, what should I get them? And I felt the Holy Spirit telling me to get every single one of these items. And he said, I hope you like this stuff, because I don't know. And he didn't buy us one thing that we didn't like. It was actually the things that we had wanted, had even desired. I'll tell you, that's joyful generosity. You know, so even when God lays it on your heart to be generous, obey those promptings from God because you might be missing out even on a blessing yourself. Go ahead and be generous. Uh, and, and later on, I remember I saw him at church. He just said, well, was that okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, it was okay. He goes, well, he, he told me, he said, it just brought me a lot of joy to be able to try to obey God and, and do this. Again, this person was very unassuming and, and uh, but it was a 
it was a miracle for us, but it was just simply a man acting in mature Christianity. Now, I want you to look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, because Paul is teaching some Christians about this concept of joy-filled generosity. And he says this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, so he's the example, you see that? Who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. Now, those, are, those, those two words right there are important because I'm coming back to that. He emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him. The what reason? It's because of his joyful generosity. He exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that is a really, really interesting passage, but, but when, when I look at that, 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 those words emptied himself actually comes from one term, one word in the Greek language, because this, Paul wrote this letter in Greek. So it's translated from ancient Greek all the way to our current English. And and it is, a, it is a term called kenosis. And it's an interesting term that a lot of people have had some difficulty describing or defining. Uh, there's actually entire books written about this thing. And I've not read them all because I don't want to take too deep of a dive into one word. But, but in this, in this uh, Greek language, translations of kenosis means he emptied himself. Another, another translation, another, another Bible may say he made himself nothing, or he made himself of no reputation. But it's very clear in this passage that this is what happened when the Son, he was the divine, eternal second person of the Trinity, when he left heaven and came to earth and became a human being. And he, he gave himself to us. And that, my friend, is generous. He gave up his eternal home. He moved into a corrupted world and, get this, became one of his own creation. See, for all of eternity up until this point, Jesus was, was in heaven. He was in this perfect communion with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And, but when the Son of Man, when Jesus Christ, when he emptied himself, he didn't cease being God. He was still God, but he took on human nature and he subjected himself to every limitation that humans face. I mean, Jesus literally gave up angelic praise for human mocking 
And ever since the beginning of creation, the Son of God unceasingly heard these words in Revelation 4 8, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. These heavenly beings, so majestic beyond our ability to understand or imagine, they celebrated his glory and they worshiped his majesty and they sang these songs to him. But Jesus, when he left that, he emptied himself of all that and he made him himself of no reputation. Religious leaders, they accused him of blasphemy. One of his closest friends literally denied him. He said, I don't know him, and may I be cursed if I even know Jesus. Roman guards, they mocked him, saying, you know, if you're really a king, why don't you come down and save yourself? I mean, Think about that. Heaven must have been amazed that the Lord of glory allowed himself to be trampled and and really just put in a position of disdain. He gave up his omnipotent power to rely upon a young, poor couple, newlyweds, to raise him. Think about this. The God of the universe came in human flesh and his protectors are literally going to be teenage, first-time parents in the first century. And not only that, they're on the run from an insane king who wanted to kill their son. God Almighty, in the form of Jesus in the flesh, Jesus in the flesh, literally had to be taught how to walk, how to talk, how to read, how to write. That is incredible when we think about it. When he emptied himself and became human, he entered into this broken and fractured world that we all exist in, that we live in, and he did not keep human pain like an arm's length from him. No, he endured it all. I mean, Isaiah chapter 53 tells us from the the prophet Isaiah is that that the Messiah, he he prophesied this, the Messiah would be uh, wounded and afflicted and bruised, and he would do all of this to make us whole. Jesus, he, uh, he experienced the full impact of the betrayal of his friends. He suffered this horrible physical torture. He was rejected by the same people that he came to redeem. He felt abandoned as his father just... It, and, and, and by his father at the moment he was hanging on the cross when the wrath and the judgment of God was poured out on him because he had the sin of the world. He literally gave up the light of heaven for the darkness of a tomb. He felt the weight of infinite judgment and wrath when he took those sins upon us. I mean, Jesus literally felt the dark hands of death wrapping around him and squeezing the life out of him. Do you understand? And the Lord God, the creator of the universe, was put into a tomb and sealed in a tomb in the earth that he created for three days. Now, there is no argument, there is no debate on this, is that Jesus is the most generous being in the universe. Case closed. It's true. I mean, we could, we could try for a thousand lifetimes to, to uh, serve Jesus. We, we couldn't even begin to pay back the generosity that he gave to us when he emptied himself and became flesh. And see, but Jesus was not only infinitely generous, he was also infinitely joyfully generous. Yeah, 
that, that's true. I mean, the writer of Hebrews, he, he expresses this surprising fact, I guess you could say, in Hebrews chapter 12. Let's take a look at it. It says, since we also have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which he so easily entangles us. So he's telling us to grow into the image of God. And let's run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking only at Jesus. So he's the one we look at. He's the one we look at. We are disciples of Jesus. Get this? He is the originator and the perfecter of faith. Who for the joy set before him. You see that? He endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who's endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary, so that you will not lose heart. Jesus joyfully endured that. And and so he says, we, we can endure the stuff that we face in this life as well. So we're called to, to live this, run this race of faith with our eyes fixed on Jesus who took upon himself the shame of the cross and he gladly did it. But how? It was for the joy set before him. That's why Jesus was so generous. See, joyful generosity is actually a marker of Christian spiritual maturity. Why? It's because we see it in the life of Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus and when I think of his joyfully generous heart, uh, I really have to refrain from making my primary focus the, I guess we can just call them the childish trinkets of this world. And sometimes we think we need all these certain things and, well, I just want to ask you a question. Has God been generous to you? Has he been generous to you? Now, if, if your mind first goes to like piles of material things that scream, that you know, purchase me, insure me, polish me, protect me, all of that, then, well, that, you might not be thinking deep enough. Because if your idea of, of God's generosity uh, is, is measured by a bank account or by your stock or by cool stuff, then I want you to think again. I want, because Jesus, God, has been generous in a deeper way. A deeper way. Yeah, those things are, are nice, but he's, he's generous in a deeper way. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why? Because of you. You are his joy. You're his joy. Jesus was joyfully generous and and what he's given to us, I mean, it should also overflow from us because we're his disciples and it should overflow to the ends of the earth. He's the model of joyful generosity, and, but he also had someone who modeled it for him, which is his father. Uh, so he, Jesus, in explaining this, he told the story of the, the prodigal son. It's a very well-known story in the Bible in Luke chapter 15. It's where you meet this, uh, the, this father. And this father, he was very generous to his two sons. Younger, younger son took the inheritance, and he blew all the money on wild, crazy, partying, living. He found himself broke, and the only job that he could get was working in a pig pen 
pen, actually living in a pig pen. And he realized at one point, hey, man, I could just go home and be a servant of my dad. And, and, and that life would be exponentially better than where I am right now. And so he started going home. His father saw him in the distance. His father broke all tradition and, and, and uh, cultural, all the cultural norms he broke. And he went running to his son that smelled like a pig pen. And he embraced him and he kissed him and he went over the top and he took his rebel son back into the home and and he he put a ring on his finger and he put sandals on his dirty feet and he threw this massive huge party. Now you see the prodigal's father which represents our father in heaven was joyfully generous. That's how God is. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he, uh, they, they wanted some guidelines. And so God gave them these, Jesus gave them these guidelines on how to pray for their daily bread. So you need to pray for daily bread. What does that mean to pray for your daily bread? Well, it means to pray for provision. And quite often that provision doesn't necessarily come in the way that we want it to or the way that we expect it to, but God provides, he does. And God does provide also for the simple necessities of our life. Uh, God is joyfully generous in providing for our daily needs. He is. He is. When I was uh, 15 years old, <laughs> I, I, I still can't get over this story because it just, the, whole, the end of the story wrapped up this week for me. But uh, when I was 15 years old, I had this, this tooth that, that needed a root canal, and, and I had some, some dental conditions as a kid, and, and I couldn't afford it. My parents couldn't afford it, so my parents told, to, told the, the dentist to pull the tooth. So pull the molar out. Just, just get rid of it that way. My dad had convinced me, oh, it's going to be fine. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll all be fine. And, but, you know, we just said we, we don't have the money for that. So I went to, to the dentist. I rode my bicycle over to the dentist's office. And, yeah, I just rode my bike. I was a big boy. And I rode my bike over there to the dentist and, and got in there. And, and I said, okay, well, my dad says you're going to pull it. And he, the dentist sat there in front. And I'll never forget it. It's so ingrained and brazened on my mind. That was that moment. And he just said, I, I don't want to pull your tooth. You're too young. You need that tooth. Uh, he goes, it needs a root canal. But he says, I send my patients out for root canals. I don't do them because I don't do them well. And so I don't. And he just sat there and looked. He said, <laughs> now this doctor was a Christian. He was a spirit-filled Christian. So he said, I'm going to go back to my office and pray for a minute. So <laughs> he left me there, went praying. I'm like, okay, here I am just sitting here. I'm just a 15-year-old kid. I don't have a mom or a dad anywhere nearby. They're all, you know, I'm riding my bike out here to the dentist's office. And, and, and so he's gone he comes back a few minutes. He says, I felt God telling me to go ahead and give you a root canal. Now, at this point, I'm kind of nervous because he said he doesn't do them. Of what's going to happen here? So, no kidding. He lays hand. I mean, he put his hands on me. I remember. And his hands were shaky. Which was even more concerning. And, and he was an older man. And, and he, he, he laid his hands on my face and was shaking. And he said, he said, God, guide my hands. Lord, you told me to give him a root canal. And I'm going to do this. And, and, and he was shaking. And he, then he just started praying in tongues. And, and just started praying in the spirit. And, and, and uh, I was like, okay, okay, okay. It's, it's like, man, I'm glad none of my friends are here. Because they would think this guy's crazy. But, but I know he's, he's praying. And this is going to be good. It's going to be good. He prays for me. And then he does this root canal, 
gets it all finished. He said, okay, it's done. It should work. Came back, put the crown on. And after it was all over with, he, after the whole thing was finished after a few weeks, because you know, it takes a while to get those things finished up. He said, now, this is only going to last 10 years max. The crown will not last. It's a very, it's, it's, not, it's not the best material. But it's best I can do for you. It's only going to last 10 years. So you need to start thinking about plans for something else at some point. But it's, at least it should last you for a good 10 years. <laughs> you know how long that crown lasted? My, my own dentist has been still amazed at it. He likes to ask about this. He, likes, he loves to hear this story. Because I told my dentist this story. And uh, the story was that tooth didn't last 10 years. It lasted 40 years. Finally, it was, had given up its last breath, and, and the, the, my dentist needed to extract it, and he put it in, a, in, a, uh, in an implant and went for that whole stuff. If you've ever done an implant, you know it takes like, I don't know, sometimes up to a couple of years to the whole process from the very beginning when they pull the tooth to where. And I finally this week got the crown put on. Now I have a tooth over here, right here, and I am so happy about it. And that is the tooth. That's that. It, it's, it's there. And it's so funny because I, I keep, like, like a little kid who just loses his first tooth or you're just gaining a new tooth, you just like put your tongue over it next to it. I'm like, I can't believe this. I still cannot believe this whole story. It's amazing. It's amazing what God will do. Basically, it's this. I had a need. God sent me to a dentist who knew how to pray but was also generous. And God used that dentist for not only a little Band-Aid, but for something that lasted 40 years. Now, there, there are several times when Jesus' generosity was beyond what was needed. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 10, first recorded miracle. And go through this quickly. He turned water into wine. It was so good that Jesus' wine tasted, uh, was superior to the other wine that had been served after that point. I mean, I tell you, that is lavish generosity. Matthew chapter 14, Jesus, when Jesus fed the 5,000, afterwards, he, they not only had all the fish and the bread that they wanted to eat, basically fish sandwiches, they not only had enough of that, but there were 12 extra baskets gets full after it was all over with. In other words, there were leftovers. That's lavish generosity. Not just what you need, but even more. John chapter 21, when Jesus told his disciples uh, that, that he was on the shore of Galilee and he told his disciples, hey, what's going on out there? They said, we fished all night. You know, we don't have any fish. This is how we earn our living. Life is hard. And so, so Jesus said, just throw your net on the other side. Like, and so they threw the net on the other side. And all these fish that had been evading their nets all night long, all of a sudden decide to jump into this net. They can't even pull the net in. It's it's like the, the net's tearing. It's a big mess. And, and it was so full. There was this abundance. So Jesus was joyfully generous, but he also did it as just, just he just went over the top. Jesus was also generous with his time. Every one of us, we know time is precious. And, and uh, there were people always constantly interrupting Jesus. And one occasion, Jesus was going to heal this, this person's daughter. And on the way there, there was this woman who had been sick for years and years. And she thought, if I can just touch Jesus, I can be healed. And he'll never know. And she pushes through the crowd and touches him. And, and Jesus felt the spirit, the, the, the virtue leave him. And, and he and he stopped, who touched me, and found the, the woman and, and, and spoke to her, paused and spoke to her and blessed her. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now go in peace. Unforgettable words of grace. You know, you can't race past people and still love them. 
Jesus gave his time. He did this with a joyful, generous spirit. He also affirmed generous giving. When Mary poured out this, this a pint of, a whole pint of fragrant perfume, when, when she poured that out on Jesus, it said it, it would have been worth like several thousand dollars in today's money. People around said, this is unnecessarily extravagant. This is ridiculous. Uh, but in John chapter 12, we, we, we find it out that, you know, even though some people said it was wasteful, Jesus disagreed. He said, well, no, this is an example of sacrificial giving and this is this is worship and so you know what we might need to be more careful in our lives about just being in total excess for ourselves because we can never be too generous to god and jesus also commanded proportional giving and that that's that's something that we should all receive with peace because that's a good thing he made it clear that every single one of us everyone has the ability to be generous everyone in this room now I've told you this before, and I know you might say, well, not me. You don't know my situation. Hold on, because we're blessed because we're a downtown church. We got every kind of person in here. Jack right back there, formerly homeless. We take care of him, put a roof over his head, make sure he's, he's taken care of. And he gives an offering every single Sunday and has for years. You know what his job is? It goes and collects aluminum cans and takes them by the bus over to a place where he can get them recycled. Some of us, we've had to take, take him over there with his kids because he has so many. And he gets that, and then from that, he gives an offering to the Lord. So it's not about how much you have, you know. It's, it's about just being generous one way or another. See, in Mark chapter 12, we read this story. This is on the Sabbath. People were coming to worship. And it says that Jesus sat opposite the treasury, which would have been this big box that people put their offerings in, and began watching how the people were putting their money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large amounts. And a poor widow woman came and put in two lepta coins, which amounted to a quadrants. Don't know what those numbers are, but I do get the concept, two coins. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all the contributors into the treasury. For they put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. So what this teaches us is that we can be generous in any season of life that we're in, and we can give regardless of our financial situation. And when we do so, we do so with joyful hearts. And when we do that, God is honored. I have a little image of, of the coins that, uh, that this woman gave. They, they, they have discovered these. And go ahead and put that image up there. Uh, guys, can you put, put that image up there? They look about, they're actually about the size of, of a penny, a little smaller, kind of between a dime and a penny. <clears throat> and this story has really has been so much a part of my life because you know, we've, seen, we've seen it all. And, and Rebecca, she found this really cool thing where you, there, it's actually a silver uh, it's actually a silver, it's, it's so, yeah it's, it's silver they call it the widow's mite or whatever but it's a piece of silver jewelry which is a reproduction of that coin right there and got them for the whole family uh, but we did it with intention it's around my neck right now and has been for years years, years, have to take it off occasionally to polish it up Rebecca's wearing hers why do we have that? 
you see, if you hang around me much, you'll probably know I'm a guy that really doesn't care much about jewelry. Some guys do. Some, you know, I know what most women do. Some guys do, and that's fine. If you like jewelry, go for it. Go for it. I'm just I'm like this, and this is fine for me. I'm done. But, but I wear this silver jewelry with this widow's mite on it as a reminder to myself. That's why I have it. It's a self-reminder that I'm going to live generously and that whether it's up or downtime or whether whatever is going on, I'm going to give. I'm going to be joyfully generous just like that woman. And this reminder has always been there for me and I continue to wear it. And I love that. That's just something for me. And that works for me because I need reminders sometimes, you know? That's a good reminder for me. And so... We've chosen to be generous in our lifestyle. And, and truth be told, the vast majority of the generosity that, that we do as a family flies totally under the radar. Uh, but that's, you know, that most of your generosity should be like that. So as disciples, what we do, what you should do, what all of us should do is just to look at Jesus, watch Jesus, keep your eyes on Jesus. What did Jesus do? What did the scriptures tell us that Jesus did? And then we Look at that, and we follow his example. And as we do so, God has the ability to release resources upon us so that we can even be a greater impact to others and continue to be joyfully generous. So I have a very simple challenge for you today. Here's my challenge. Renew your mind and be transformed, you know, into the image of Christ. But will you just take this challenge if you need to write it down or take a picture of it, do it so, so that you, I don't want you to leave here and forget it. What is one thing you can do this week to express joyful generosity? Now, and, and make a commitment to the Lord. God, I'm going to be joyfully generous. And God may give you specific ideas of something that you can do right now while you're in this setting. I've been praying that, that God will do that. But, but as, you, as you pray and as you ask God for that, God may show you some things that may sound a little crazy, kind of like the guy who brought us the food, like the guy who, the dentist who decided to, who, the dentist who doesn't do root canals to pray over me and do a root canal. I don't know. But, but whatever it is that God puts on your heart be ready and willing to respond and just simply begin to do this and as you do this you'll grow in this now that challenge that I just gave you which is to put it it right back up there what is one thing you can do this week to express joyful generosity if you will take that every single person in this room can take that challenge regardless of where you are Regardless of how long you've been a believer, or you, some of you, I, you know, some of you, I know you're just extremely generous, and that is so wonderful. But what is what is one thing that you can do to express joyful generosity this week that may even be different than what you've done historically? And watch what God does in your own life with the joy and the satisfaction of knowing that you're actually a disciple of Jesus and that you are His joy. What a beautiful faith we have. What a beautiful faith we have. Before we go on any further, I'd like to I'd, I'd like to just ask if anyone in this room has never received Christ as their Savior. Because if you had, I want to give you the opportunity to right now. 
And while we're doing this, I want to say goodbye to our online community. Thank you for joining us today. A church, let me ask you to examine your own hearts. If there is, if there's sin in your heart, you're not serving God. Your eternal destiny is at stake. All that stuff I told you about Jesus, he did it for you. You are his joy. You are his joy. In fact, Jesus continues to reap the joy of this every time a person gives their life to him. Scriptures tell us that even the, the angels in heaven rejoice when one person gives their life to Jesus. That's the beauty of our faith. If you need Jesus in your life, you'd like to give your life to him today, I'm going to ask you just a second to lift your hand so that I can see it. And we'll pray, and we're going we're gonna to pray together, but you're going to pray your prayer of, of salvation. And I'm going to connect my faith with yours. We're going to believe for that miracle of salvation in your own life. That's the best thing that can happen today. So with everybody just looking internal, examining your own heart right now, if that's you this morning, you'd like to give your life to Jesus and pray this prayer with me. I'd like for you, at the count of three, lift your hand up for me high so that I can see it because I want to include you in this prayer as well. You want to give your life to Jesus? Lift your hand right now. One, two, three. Lift it up for me. Thanks. Put your hand down. Thanks. Put your hand down. Will you pray with me? If you lifted your hand, I want you to pray with me. I'm going to ask everyone else in this room to pray with these people who are giving their lives to Christ right now. Dear Jesus, come on, church, say it out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for giving your life for me. Today I make the choice to leave my whole life, to run after you, to be a disciple of yours. So please forgive my sin. Wash me in your precious blood. For you are now the Lord of my life. Change me, shape me, and help me to continue to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, by praying that prayer, you've made that first step in your walk with God. But we continue to walk with God on and on and on. And one of those areas is in the area of joyful generosity, and we allowed a constant transformation in our hearts for it. I want to pray for you right now for that. Will you receive this prayer? God, I pray for every person in this room. I pray for joyful generosity to be at the core of every one of us. That it's not just something that we do. Uh, it's, It's not something we just cognitively even have to plan for but it's something that will flow naturally. God, give us a deep sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to tune down the noise of the world so we can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit when he whispers to us to do this or to do that or to be generous here or to be generous there. Help us to be obedient and, 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 to, and to not doubt the voice of God, but to give in to it. And Lord, I pray that we will be the most joyful church in town because as we are generous, Lord, that joy is just going to come right back on us because we're doing your work. We're doing your work. So Lord, flow through us. Let us be your agents on this earth. Let us be Jesus to this earth also through our actions and our deeds. And I pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Amen. 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 Jake, why don't you come up, and I want you to close us today. And as, as we close, we're not going to close with a time of worship. Again, our worship team is kind of, things happen a little odd today at the beginning of the service. But, uh, but, but we're, gonna, we're going to, to close with these words of blessing, a pastoral blessing, and you'll be released. And don't forget, take action on this. Take action on this today, all right? God bless you, Jake. All right. Well, let's keep on having a good Sunday, but I get to give you this pastoral blessing from the book of Numbers. God bless you and keep you. God smile on you and gift you. God look you full in the face and make you prosper. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.